first coming attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie or digital media, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll take you behind the scenes, interview celebrities, and review new movies, TV shows, and digital releases. Now, here are your hosts from Kids First Coming Attractions. Hey, welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm Sahiba, and today we're going to have lots of fun talking with first some guests. Scott Ross and Ben Beatlin, and then we'll speak about some movies, including Toys and Pets and Onward. And first, we'll be speaking with the amazing Scott Ross, and to do the honors, Jerry will be interviewing him. So take it away, Jerry. Hey guys, this is Jerry Orr's reporting for Kids First. Right now, it's Scott Ross, who has an extremely impressive repertoire. You were general manager of Industrial Light and Magic. You founded Digital Domains. You have many Academy Awards and Visual Effects, Technical Achievement Awards. First, the thing I want to ask you is, how did you get started in this? Because when you started in Visual Effects in the 1980s, it was a blooming industry. It was just being created. Yeah, I lived in the Bay Area, and um, my background was in film. I went to a university, Hofstra University on Long Island, and I did my undergraduate work in, in film. And then I moved to the Bay Area, and I was a sound guy. That's what I, I did. And I was working around town as a sound person, eventually was hired by a company called One Pass Video. And they were the sort of seminal post-production company in San Francisco, did really award-winning work. I wound up ultimately becoming its president. Now I was sort of well-known in the Bay Area and the holy grail was Lucasfilm. But Lucasfilm at the time was a company that was pretty cloistered. You didn't know anybody that worked at Lucasfilm because the Lucasfilm people didn't want you to know about them, right? So it was one of those things. And then one day I got a phone call from a headhunter and they said, um, you know, we'd like you to come interview for the general manager at Industrial Light and Magic. And I said, duh, <laughs> you know, and I went and I interviewed, I think I had like 70 interviews and then I was offered the job. And so at that point I was off and running. In those early days, basically every technology had to be created from scratch to, to be able to do the work you needed to. So how has that day-to-day -day life changed since the 1980s to today? Well, the big issue back in the early days, everything was photochemical and you put stuff on an optical printer and you shot it on VistaVision film. And, and it wasn't until I would say the latter part of the 1980s that digital sort of came of age. And once digital came of age, the big issue for us back then was that there were no artists that understood how to work within a computer. So the men and women that I hired came out of like U University of California at Berkeley and they were computer scientists. So basically you had computer scientists involved in the art part of making film, which didn't work all that well. And it wasn't until later that all of a sudden software became available and that software was now attuned with a user, graphical user interface that would allow artists to be able to manipulate images. And nowadays, computer scientists write code that do plugins for already consumer-oriented or professional-oriented software. And the people that are creating the images are, are artists. I love your idea on combining art and technology because, of course, they are two very different worlds. And, of course, today we have films just entirely visual effects. Do you think that visual effects is starting to be overused? Yeah, I do think visual effects are over overused and abused, but let's look at it from the perspective of show business, right? So the business part of the film industry has changed considerably from when I started. When I started back in the mid 80s, international box office was a blip. So if you made a film, you did somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 to 80% of your overall revenue came from the United States. And the rest was, as we used to call it, ROW, rest of the world. Today, 
when you look at big blockbuster films, about 75% of the box office comes from international marketplaces. So now you have this issue of you have this international marketplace. And let me tell you, you know, you're not going to have Driving Miss Daisy play very well in Beijing or Shanghai. So there's no pithy dialogue that can happen that make people go, oh, I understand that in Japan or in, in, in China. And so now the images that are really important to marketing the movie is visual effects. So visual effects have become the major, the sort of the tip of the spear for marketing a film on an international basis, more so than actors. So as a result, now what studios are doing are they're relying really heavily on visual effects. And in my opinion, sometimes too much. You are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we're talking with Scott Ross, Ben Seatland. We'll be talking about toys and pets and onward. We're now getting to a stage where human graphics are becoming a controversial subject because we're bringing actors back to, from the dead. So what's your opinion on the idea of being stuck in this uncanny valley where they don't really look that human, but we're still bringing them back from the dead and putting them in these outfits, I would say? I think we're at the beginning. You know, so I, I think that there are artists that have been able to recreate dead people in a 3D CG world that looks absolutely believable to the common person, right? So to the average audience member, when they look at something, they won't be able to tell the difference. To people like myself, who spent all of our years in screening rooms, we could notice the nuances and the problems, but even that's starting to go away. So the uncanny valley is starting to, to sort of disappear over time. How do I feel about that? You know, if it's in service of the movie and, it, and if it's not a gimmick and there's a reason to have it and the performances have heart and soul, I'm all for it. But, you know, if it's, if it's to sell more tickets and there's no real reason to have, you know, to bring back Carrie Fisher from the dead, then I'm, I'm against it. And I think a lot of people agree with you. And Films like Star Wars, films like Avengers, they have thousands of people working on them now. It's a worldwide project with many different visual effects studios, and often they're overworked. They have very long hours, and they are very often not credited. So for people who are interested in visual effects, what tips would you give them if they want to get started in visual effects in this very controversial and harsh world? That's a loaded question. You have, you have a lot of questions there. So, so first, let's move back and say, it's shocking to me that the most important part of the marketing and sales and business-wise of an international blockbuster film are the visual effects. It's clearly not the story. Just watch some of the Avengers movies. You got to be kidding me. What's going on here? It, it's the spectacle that the visual effects provide. So here you have this incredibly powerful marketing juggernaut being the visual effects. But as we look around, we're seeing visual effects companies go out of business left and right. So the business model of visual effects is broken. And, and the best way to describe it is think of yourself as a homeowner and you've decided that you want to build a house and I'm the architect. And you come to me and you say, I want a house and three bedrooms, you know, two baths, blah, blah, blah. And I say, okay, great. And you say, give me a price. And I come back and I said, yeah, it's going to be, you know, $250,000. You say, okay, great. So now we start the project. And about two months into the project, you decide to add another bedroom or you want skylights. So in the visual effects world, because the bids are, are, are fixed bids, a fixed contract price, there's a very high likelihood that at the end of it all, 
you're going to lose money. That's the problem with visual effects companies. Now, from a visual effects artist point of view, one of the problems in visual effects artists, as you mentioned, is many of them work enormous amounts of hours and they do it in dark rooms and more and more in distant locations because of subsidies. For a 20-year-old or maybe even a 30-year-old, it's a pretty exciting opportunity. You get to go around the world, you get to work on big movies. By the way, when, you, when I say you get to work on big movies, so if you're going to work on Spider-Man and you're an entry-level person, you might move an eyebrow. You'll never get to meet the actors. You'll never get to meet the director. You probably won't see the light of day. So it sounds romantic, but it's really not. On the other hand, you know, if you're working for a big American visual effects or British visual effects company and you're working on big movies, you're probably making pretty good money. The problem is, is that you're making that good money and you're probably spending it. So because there's no union, there is no, there is no pension, there is no health and welfare, there is none of the other things that the movie industry has had for all these years. Luckily, technology is helping artists. AI and machine learning is being incorporated more and more. In my experience, it's getting crazy just how good computers are getting at doing the work that visual effects artists have to spend hours on. So do you believe that in the future, AI and machine learning will eventually even replace visual effects artists? Well, visual effects artists have sort of bifurcated, right? So there's the world-class visual effects artist, and I don't think they ever get replaced. You know, it's sort of like, could you replace Pablo Picasso? No, you can't do that, right? So that segment of the digital artist community, A, will always be there, and B, will even be more desired by filmmakers, but the rest of that machinery, the actual mechanics of the visual effects world, which has over the last 10 years has, have gone to countries like India or China, uh, you're going to be replaced by machine learning and AI. I know you mentioned India. There are a lot of different fields being sent to countries like India where the labor is being sent out, you know, and there's a lot of aspects of visual effects. There's rotoscoping, there's compositing, 3D tracking, 3D modeling, 3D textures. There's a lot of different uh, subsets. So do you believe there is a certain field of visual effects that is actually falling behind in terms of technology and progress? Fields that are falling behind. I mean, I think, you know, if I look at overall sort of holistically at the movie industry, the field that's falling behind is storytelling. I, I think, you know, if you look at each one of these fields that you just mentioned, there's, there's variation in the quality of the work, right? There are some people that do extraordinarily great matte paintings. There are some people that do terrible matte paintings, right? So there's, there's, there's that, that range of, of capability and capacity. But the industry, from a technological point of view, is constantly advancing, as is the platforms and the hardware and software capability of doing that work. We're running out of time, but my last question is, in my opinion, there's a big competition in visual effects versus using the use of miniatures and doing it digitally. So in your opinion, what do you believe is the downsides and upsides of doing things using special effects versus visual effects? Well, it's cost right? A big issue is from a producerial point of view, it's cost. If you're going to reuse a model over and over and over and over again, and the size and scale is right, that you can do it right. Personally, I'm a fan of models and miniatures. But, you know, if you have to change things and it's, you know, five shots here and seven shots here and 10, probably can't afford to create a model or a miniature of scale and size that looks believable for the price that you could do it in visual effects and computer graphics. That's very true. Sadly, that is all the time we have. Thank you, Scott, so much for talking to us. For our audience, be sure to check out our interviews with both CEOs and filmmakers and to check out the many, many films that Scott has done. I'm your host, Jerry Orr, signing off.
Thank you so much, Jerry and the amazing Scott Ross. Let's take a break. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Doozers We Dig Spring. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First Film Critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Sahiba and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We just had an amazing interview with Jerry and Scott Ross. And right now we're going to have another wonderful interview with Catherine and the director and writer of Wendy, Ben Zietland. Take it away, Catherine. Hi, this is Catherine. I'm here with the Oscar-nominated director, writer, and composer, Ben Zietland, who is director and co-writer of Wendy. So, hello. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. All right, so, as a kid, you were terrified of growing up. <laughs> so, if you did not want to grow up, what did you want to be as a kid? Um, I wanted to make stuff. Um, you know, I wanted... But I didn't know if I could do that as a job, you know? And, like, so when I was a little kid... I would make these puppet shows all the time, you know, for my sister from when she was a little baby. And then we would do it together once she was old enough. And, um, you know, I wanted to play music and I wanted to go on adventures and I didn't want to have to choose one thing. I wanted all those things to be my life. And, um, you know, and then I kind of discovered making movies and I sort of discovered that that could be a way for me to continue to do all the things that I love to do as a kid um, and never have to give up any of them. So Yes, okay, and that's so funny because I want to do everything too as much <laughs> as I can while, you know, I can. <laughs> you can forever. Yes. That's the great thing. Yes. <laughs> they tell you you can't, but it's not true. Right. And so all of the children in Wendy, well, I think most of them were unexperienced actors and actresses. Why do you think you're so good with... Um, working with inexperienced child actors? Because, um, you know, I think acting comes a lot from who you are, you know, and it comes a lot from from um, 
from your spirit and and how open-hearted you are, how unselfconscious you are, how brave you know you are. Like those are sort of qualities that I think every actor has to have. And I think especially you know, um, especially when you're talking about working with kids, you know, a lot of kids have it in them to be great actors, but just have never had a chance to try it. You know, mm-hmm. like not everybody gets an opportunity to be in a school play or whatever, whatever it is, you know, you, and so, um, you know, for me looking for kids, you know, I can, I go out and I try to find the kids that just have these qualities in them and that have the passion in them. And then I try to give, you know, and then I get to give them a chance to, to really learn the art form and to, and to experience, um, expressing themselves in that way. Okay, yeah, and speaking of being brave, like, there were a bunch of, like, freight trains everywhere. Were those actually moving while they were filming, or... Because that's pretty brave. Oh, yeah, <laughs> they are some brave kids. Oh, um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, they did their own stunts, you know, and we, we worked wow. long and hard on it, and, and it took a lot of courage, you know, but, yeah, you know, there, there was always, you know movie magic that's what we would call it you know to make sure that they were always safe you know and no one ever could have fallen and hurt themselves or anything like that but you know they did have to have the courage to jump from a roof onto a moving train and they did it you know um and and another of the kids um ran over the top of a train while it was moving jumped from train to train um and then um you know they also got to do uh this crazy stunt where she gets pushed out of the train and falls backwards into the water you know she wasn't on a train when we did that one but she had to actually essentially bungee jump backwards into the water and you know it took a lot of courage and a lot of um a lot of guts and you know and and Devin France is you know she's as brave a kid as you as you ever want to meet oh yeah uh they're a lot braver than I am Uh, (laughs) well they didn't start out that brave that's the thing it's like (laughs) we had to work up to it and practice and really all the kids got from where we started to where we ended, you know, you can you can face your fears and learn how to overcome them, and, and, and that's what these kids did. Yes, yeah, so what I, I really liked about it is all the water scenes, and, you know, first of all, they were very brave for doing that. I'm terrified of water that I can't <laughs> see, and I'm like, pools, and I'm done. <laughs> and so how did you get such good audio for the underwater scenes? Well, you don't record any audio at all uh, underwater. Mm. You know, you... Um, all of those soundscapes are built after the fact, you know? Um, and so it was a lot, a lot of work, you know, and you, um, you know, we studied all sorts of creature sounds and we, um, you know, we, we had this sort of singing sea creature. She sings songs to the children. And what we did was we actually looked at thousands and thousands of real whale calls, you know, real sounds that whales make. And then we sort of built a song using, uh, using those whale calls. And so, all of that sort of underwater sound is all of basically, you know, um, things that you work on after you finish shooting. That's really impressive. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so you were like on, you were there, you were filming for seven years, am I right? Well, we were working on the film working for seven the film years. For we seven were only years. filming it for about six months. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, the good. kids would have grown a whole lot. Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. And so how long were you on those islands? Like the, is it Maserat? Montserrat. Montserrat. And then Antigua and Barbuda, the other two islands we filmed on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there on and off since 2013. So for almost four years, exploring and writing and sort of trying to figure out how we were going to make a film there. Um, and then all the kids came over probably, you know, and they were probably there for about four months or so, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
something something like that was how long it took to film uh, all the stuff on the islands. After coming back from the islands, what was your what was the f your comfort food that, the your favorite comfort food that you were looking forward to most? Oh my god! Um, yeah, when I got back to Louisiana, um, I think I went down uh, to to my. Um, the funniest thing is the kids were all dying for fast food, and so Devin, <laughs> as she would tell you, loves Taco Bell, and all we would talk about on set was just like. When we get home, we're going to Taco Bell. We're going to a horror movie, um, and so that 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 was a uh, you know when we got back, I think that was the first thing me and her did was you know she has her order set. We went to Taco Bell and uh, I took her to a horror movie, and you know yeah. Wow, you are listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we're talking with Scott Ross, Ben Beatlin. We'll be talking about toys and pets as well as Onward. And so you are a director, you're a producer. If you did not do what you do today, what would you do? Um, <laughs> I mean, probably be, you know, I think along, for a long time I wanted to be in a band. Um, in high school I was in a band and I thought for a long time that that would be my life, um, sort of playing music, writing music and being on the road. Um, and um, I wasn't a very good musician, <laughs> um, but... I still, I still, the, the cool thing is that I still get to write music for my films. And so it's still a big part of my life, music. But, um, you know, um, but if I had to quit filmmaking, I would study to be uh, an orchestra conductor. And I would try to compose symphonies and conduct an orchestra. And that would be, that would be dream number two. <laughs> yes. I might still do it. We'll see. <laughs> I can relate to you because I'm not great at playing instruments. My I'm not very well hand-eye yeah, coordinated. No, but yeah, that's a great way to like mix both of everything together. You get to write the music and kind of, you know, like yeah, directing direct is kind it. of like being it's kind of being like being the conductor. Sort of yes, thinking about all the elements and and telling people what to do and when and how to feel it and how you know it's like it's a very similar job. I think. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I'm sure this happens to a lot of people. I don't know if it happens to you, but what do you do to solve writer's block? Ooh, for me, I move. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I always have, like, five or six places that I write, you know, at any given time, and I never want to only have one office because you can be staring at a blank page and you're in the same place and you can really torture yourself and so mm -hmm. you know sometimes I write by the river sometimes I write in the library sometimes I write in my house and I've got like always like six or seven places that I know I can go and so oftentimes if I have a great day I'll go back to the same place if mm -hmm. I have a bad day I'm gonna go somewhere else um, and I also try to always um, you know for me I have to force myself I don't love writing you know so mm -hmm. I have to force myself to stay with it for the amount of time every day and even if I'm getting nothing done I'm gonna make myself sit there and try and then oftentimes you know even if you write something bad that'll eventually lead you to something good and you just got to keep at it and keep mm -hmm. on working. That reminds me of like I love to paint I love art but sometimes I just can't stick with the right painting so and then I stash it away and then like a couple weeks later I'm like pick it back up. Oh I remember this. Yeah. And so it's kind of like cool. that. And speaking of writing, what was it like working so closely with your sister as co-writer? Um, you know, it was it was kind of like a continuation of what we've done our entire lives because me and my sister have always you know, when we were little, we played make believe together. When we got older, we, you know, made haunted houses, you know, we uh -huh. built boat crazy boats. You know, it was like we were always 
creating something, some sort of story, some sort of crazy art project. And, you know, we never had gotten a chance to actually write the story together. Um, but this story is something that we thought about since we were little kids and there's no way I could have written it without her. And so it was never a question. It was like, if we were going to do this movie, we were going to write it together. Well, that's wonderful. Okay, quick fire questions. <laughs> so right now we're in Chicago. Uh -huh. uh, it's famous for their deep dish. Deep dish or thin crust pizza? I'm a New Yorker, y'all, so <laughs> New York pizza. Okay, dog Sorry. or cat? Dog. Clowns or sharks? Sharks. Beach or mountains? Mountains, but if you were to say ocean, I would go ocean. Oh, okay. Like the ocean, not the beach. <laughs> okay, because mm, sand gets everywhere. And... Well, I like boats. You, know, like you like boats, on, boats. I, I don't oh, want to look fun. at the water. I yes. want to be on the water, you know. Speaking of movies, do you like comedy movies better or horror movies? Really depends. Really depends. I like both, but probably maybe more comedy if I just picking randomly, but, you know, it all depends. Mm-hmm. Okay, fall or spring? I'm going to go with fall. Yes, because rain, I don't, I'm not a big fan of rain and whatever, and I feel like just the weather in fall, it's just kind of nice seeing all the leaves fall and, and all that stuff. And New Orleans fall is like its own thing. So, uh -huh. you know, when I say fall, I'm, I'm thinking New Orleans fall. Yes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and do you like classical music or rock? Both. Definitely both. Both, yes, yeah. same. Yeah. <laughs> My two favorites. Yeah. Thank you so Thank much you for so much. talking yeah. with me. Yeah. Have a great, great rest of job. your day. You're Thank really good you. At this. Thank you. Thank you so much, Catherine and Ben Zietlin. And let's take a break. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Doozers. We dig spring. us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. 
Hey, welcome back. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We just finished an amazing interview with Catherine and Ben Zietlin, and right now we're going to be speaking with Ethan about toys and pets. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Hi. Hi. So, can you tell me a little bit about this film and what you thought about it? Um, well, I liked it because it's very interesting, and it kind of reminds me of, like, the Toy Story films. Those are really cool. Yeah, and so what is the story about? It's kind of about uh, this toy maker who made a, like, little toy called May, and a chef, a chef like, named Nathan. And the toy maker's wife, like, kind of fell to the floor holding May. And it, like, dropped and rolled. And then some, like, rat-looking creature come, like, came out of the sewer and, like, grabbed it. And, like, it went down. So, um, the toy maker's wife, like, passes away. And he stops making toys. So, one day in, like, this shop where this guy sells all the toys that he found from the toy maker, a little robot from the future, like, fell through the window. And it, they, he, she became friends I think it's a he. I can't really tell what the robot's gender is. But he or she came through the window and became friends with all of the little toys that he made, I guess they're called. The whole time, the chef, Nathan, and the robot are are in the sewer trying to fight this evil rat called Flash. And they try to save May because Flash has, like, this huge collection of toys and figures and May is one of them, so they have to try to get May free from the rat. Oh wow, that is an intense story. But what did you, yeah, what did you think of the story? Was it exciting and fun? It was really cool because when you see the title Toys and Pets, you don't really think it'd be about all of this craziness. Cause I think most of it was underground than actually like above and like with toys and pets. I think it was more about Nathan and the robot. Yeah, it's a very unique story. It's not something that I would have thought of when, like you said, seeing the title Toys and Pets. But um, So what did you think of this animation? I thought it was really nice because uh, Toy Story, like the actual movie, it's really good itself. And making, it's not like the same but it's kind of like Toy Story because it's, like, based off a toy. And I really like these type of movies with toys because it's not like every movie you get to see a toy as the main character because most movies are, like, people, like, uh, like actors and stuff, but this is, like, a toy, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, for sure. And do you think Toys and Pets is still... Um, able to stay unique and special despite having some similarities with Toy Story? Yeah, it's really good. It It's, like, not the same as Toy Story. The only thing is it's just toys, but everything else is perfect. I don't, I, like, I think it's perfectly fine the way it is. Wonderful. And so what did you think about the voice acting? It was really nice because it fits, like, each toy well because... I, f- I forgot his name, but it's, like, a little frog. The voice for the frog fits him perfectly, because you'd expect, like, a dark, vo- like, a deep voice for a frog, because he's, like, really big. And it was a deep voice, so it matched, like, everyone perfectly. 
Oh, that's great to hear. I love it when um, the voice acting aligns so perfectly and it makes it feel even more real. And so, um, what did you think about the characters? It seems that there's quite a few toys. And did you have a favorite? Um, I think it'd be the robot because even though, like, the robot is different from all the other toys, she got along with them all really well because she she uh, she was mostly with Nathan, and everything Nathan did, she was there to protect him, even though, like, they were different from each other. And that's what I think was really cool because they, they, they were bonding, like, even if they were completely different. Yeah, that's really sweet. And so finally, Ethan, what would you say the age range and star rating should be? I give it five out of five stars because this was a really good movie, or I think film. I don't know. And um, I'd recommend it ages five to eighteen. Older adults can enjoy this with their children as well. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you, Ethan, and I'm excited to watch Toys and Pets. So thanks, thanks for, for having me. me. Yeah, and so be sure to check out Toys and Pets on DVD today. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today we've been having a fun time talking about a whole lot of movies. And right now, I'm going to be speaking with Callista about the turning. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Callista. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I've heard that this is a pretty scary movie, but you tell me, what did you think about it? Well, The Turning is kind of a bit of a weird film to describe. The thing is, though, is that, like, for most of the film, it kind of feels like a normal, uh, like, horror film. But unfortunately, the ending kind of throws a lot of it off. Like, obviously, I can't talk about the ending, but that's going to be really weird because this is definitely a film that like your enjoyment of it is going to depend a lot on the ending so I I kind of have mixed feelings on it like I like it in concept but in execution it kind of raises a bit more questions than it probably should oh no I don't like it when movies they have they have so much potential but Oh, that's sad to hear. But can you tell me a bit about the storyline? So basically this film follows a nanny who gets hired by who gets hired to like raise these two orphans, Flora and Miles, and they live in like this massive mansion. And so basically she moves into the mansion to sort of watch over them and then like as uh she, the longer she works there like the more creepy things start to get and like there's um like she starts seeing and hearing all these things and like there's some kind of mystery going on about like the former uh nanny who worked there Ooh, it sounds eerie <laughs> and so how about the jump scares did any of them get you or were they not too terrible um, I I find it ironic that you assume that there's jump scares because this is a modern horror film. But th- unfortunately, there actually are jump scares. I say unfortunately because I don't like jump scares, not just because I'm jumpy, but also I find it cheap. Um, 
But actually, I feel like this film was better in terms of jump scares than a lot of other horror films. There were actually ones that genuinely got me. And, like, it was more so that the one that did actually make me feel scared, it was because unlike most jump scares where it, like, builds it up for way too long, it was so sudden, I just genuinely didn't expect it. And it came out of nowhere. This film is actually a lot more scary than I originally expected it to be. I feel like I feel like the horror in this film isn't really from jump scares and more about like the children because this is sort of a, a creepy children movie. Oh, okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, sometimes when the uh, movie just focuses on jump scares, it can become a bit cheesy, but I'm glad to hear that it's more than just the jump scares. And so, is the story otherwise told well, even though the ending is not so good? I think it, I think it is told pretty well. I feel like this film definitely could have ended in many ways, and like it would have been changed a lot more. Because there's a lot going on in this film in terms of, like, who you think sort of, like, the main antagonist is. Because along with um, the children, the only other person who lives there is sort of, like, this old lady who's, like, a caretaker for the children. And, like, you see her and she says a lot of stuff that's kind of suspicious, but also... um, There's, like, the children have some pretty disturbing moments, specifically Miles. And then there's also the stuff going on with the former caretakers. Um, So, And I feel like, like, if it chose any of those, uh, like, other options, like, it could have gone either way. And I feel like it's set up enough to work. Oh, very cool. And I have to ask, I know um, one of the actors is from Stranger Things, and this is one of his first movies. So how did he do in this film, and how is the acting? Well, the actor you're talking about is Finn Wolfhard, who I guess is sort of like the de facto main character of Stranger Things. Uh, he He's the one who plays Miles in this film. And when I say that, like, it's a creepy children film, I'm mostly talking about him, because he has some pretty, like, weird moments in this film and I think that like especially considering that like for films like Stranger Things where like um you know he's like this like charming kid who plays D&D and stuff like that and then in this film he's just like completely different he's very deadpan and like a lot more like rebellious and I feel like it's very different from Mike and I feel like this is a good uh Like, even though I personally am kind of mixed on this film, I feel like this definitely is a good stepping stone for uh, new roles for Finn Wolfhard, for, like, roles other than, like, Stranger Things and stuff like that. Yeah, oh, that's great to hear. I'm excited. He's one of the reasons um, I'm excited to watch this film. But um, finally, Callista, what would you say the age range and star rating should be? I would say the age range for this film is 13 to 18, and I would give this film three out of five stars. Wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you, Calista, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Of course, and so be sure to check out The Turning in theaters today. Let's take a break. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Doozers We Dig Spring.
enrich your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com To become a Kids First film critic, visit our website to find out when the next audition takes place. We hold auditions throughout the year and are always looking for kids ages 8 to 18 that love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to meet the talent that works on movies. We invite kids who live in or near any major city in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K. This summer, join us at our Kids First Film Critic Boot Camp at Temple University, where you can learn how to critique films, how to interview celebrities, and how to set up a home studio for next to nothing. For more info, visit www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to become a Kids First film critic? Register to audition and give yourself a chance to join the entertainment business as a young entertainment reporter. Hurry! Our auditions take place the first Saturday of the month via Skype. Help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Shh! Turn your phone off. Another film review or celebrity interview is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Sahiba, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We just finished talking with Ethan about toys and pets, and right now I'm going to be talking with Will, Jolene, and Ava on Onward. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so I've heard so much about this movie, and um, the trailer seemed really cute, and now I'm so excited to see, hear what you have to say. So, Will, let's start with you. Can you give us a bit of background on Onward, and how did you like it? Um, I really liked it. I... So, the story is really about two brothers, um, being Barley, who are both elves in this sort of suburban, magical land that was transformed into kind of sort of a modern-day thing. And really, they just, they find that their dad has given them a staff, and they have to bring him back, but they don't complete it, so they have to go on a journey to get the rest of him back before sundown the next day. Oh, that's very interesting story. I don't think I've heard that one before. And so, Jolene, what did you think of the originality of this film? Was it very creative? Oh, yeah, I thought this film was very creative, actually. I wasn't able to predict anything, in a sense. Like, I was shocked and surprised, and there were so many plot twists and everything. So it really kept me interested the entire time. And it's something new, you know, so I really enjoy watching it. Oh, that's great to hear. And Ava, how did you feel when watching this film? I absolutely loved it. It had me laughing the entire time. And I think that it was very, very creative. Um, because, I mean, I wasn't really expecting it to look like this because 
as you, as it opens, it's like a fairy walking down the street with his phone, and it's it's very original and funny, and I really love the thing. <laughs> That's cute. A fairy walking yeah down the street with a phone. That's something I don't think I've ever heard or seen before. But um, well, so can you tell me a bit about the voice acting? Um, some of my favorite actors are in this film, like Tom Holland and Chris Pratt. Um, Tom Holland and Chris Pratt are also some of my favorite actors, and they. I think they did a really good job in the voice acting as the two main characters in this movie, as well as Octavia Spencer, who plays the Manticore. I think she also did really well. Very nice. And Jolene, what are your thoughts on the acting? Um, yeah, they're also some of my favorite actors, um, and they did really well. Um, you can tell that they have good chemistry, so when they talk, is really smooth and, you know, it's almost as if they really are brothers. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. And, um, Eva, so what did you think about the animation? The animation was very well done. And their characters, I could relate to the characters so well. And, um, like Chris Pratt, his actor was just like him and it was so funny. I think all of the voices were right for the characters. And yes, the animation was very good. Awesome. And Inga, did you have someone you could relate to most in the film? I think um, Ian, because his big brother, which is played by Chris Pratt, is just like always coming in and embarrassing him at the worst moments. And I feel like I could really relate to that well with my brothers. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, that's something older brothers definitely do. And, Will, um, coming back to the characters, what did you think of them and their development throughout the film? Um, I think my favorite characters are Barley and Officer Pink. And I think they're just both really funny. And Barley himself is really adventurous and fun-loving. And I think that their development throughout the movie is a lot like Ian. In the beginning of the movie, he's super shy and sort of embarrassed, and at the end we see that he's a lot better with that kind of stuff. Like, in school he's doing a lot better, and he has a lot more friends. And it's just a lot of... he's doing a lot better. That's great to hear. Here with to kids first coming attractions today we've been talking with some guests including scott ross ben beatlin we've also been talking about toys and pets and right now we're talking with will jolene and ava on onward and so will you were just telling me a little bit about your favorite characters and their development and so jolene did you have a favorite character yes my favorite character was their mother um, I just think she's such a strong character, and I'm, I was really inspired by her, and how she all, is always chanting to herself, like, I'm a warrior, and I love how she stood up for her boys, and she encouraged them to go bring back their father, and she didn't try to stop them just because she was, like, fearful for them, she really let them go out on their own, and she 
is a very strong person, and I am really inspired by her strength. Oh, that's very cool. That's actually like super unusual for a film. Usually, um, the mom's always like protective and like don't go out into the, um, you know, unknown. And so that's great to hear. Um, Ava, how about you? Did you have a favorite character as well? I did. My favorite character was the Manticore. She was so funny, and my, her her line had it just made my entire day. Her best line was the the police officer asked her what her name was, and she said, first name the last name Manticore," and it made the entire day. Oh, that's funny. And um, so both. Uh, I know you guys mentioned earlier that the setting of the film is sort of fairy tale and modern. And so, Will, if you could go um, to the fantasy world, what would be something you would want to do or somewhere you would want to go? Um, something I would want to do is probably just magic, like how Ian does. With the wand, I just think I would probably want to do magic. Yeah, I mean, I would love to too. That that would be quite something. And so, Jolene, I'm curious: is there um any antagonist or a bad guy in Onward? Um, the an antagonist isn't a character. It's just. A sort of curse that's on the um, crystal, which is what they have. They go on the adventure to find so that they can bring back their father. So when they've been warned about taking the crystal because of that curse, so that's the only real antagonist. But there's also they also have some sort of conflict with themselves in a way, and sometimes between each other. Oh, okay, and did you like um, the way that these conflicts um, had a role in the film and how they played out? Yeah, I thought it was another creative thing that the film onward had because um, normally there's a good good guy and a bad guy, but this way it was more interesting, and I thought it just made the plot more interesting as well. Yeah, for sure. It's always interesting to see these kinds of unique plots. And Ava, so did you like the way that Onward ended? And were there any surprises? I did, yes. It was very relieving, and there were lots of surprises, actually. Um, and at the end, the mom... The mom of Ian and Barbie, she really does show her strength. Oh, awesome! And would you like to see an onward too, maybe? Definitely. Awesome. And so, well, finally, what would, how many stars would you give onward, and what ages would you recommend uh, this film for? I would give onward four point five out of five stars, and recommend it for. Ages five to seventeen, and I bet adults would probably like it too. Wonderful, and Jolene, how about you? Five out of five stars for sure, and 
um, recommended for the ages of 7 to 18, but yes, adults as well would enjoy this. My mom came with me, and she loved it. Oh, that's great. And finally, Ava, what would you say? Uh, how many stars would you give it, and how many, what age group should watch this film? I give it a 5 out of 5 stars, and this film is for ages 6 to 18, and I think adults would really enjoy it as well. Awesome. Well, it's been so much fun to talk to all of you about Onward, and thank you once again for being here today. Thank you for interviewing. Thank you again, and be sure to check out Onward in theaters on March 6th. I know I will. So thank you so much again for joining us. You have been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps, and to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and look for our reviews on Press for Kids, KidsWorld.com, and Kidsville News. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for Voice America and iHeartRadio. Today's show is sponsored by Doozers We Dig Spring. I'm Sahiba. Thank you all for being here today and have a great evening. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, you know more which movies, TV shows, or digital media to look for, or learned about the talent that worked on or off camera on them, and can make informed decisions about what to watch. Be sure to subscribe to our channel so you don't miss an episode, and tune in again next week.